partner with us to do this thing. Well, I want to thank Michael for uh, Micah for asking me to speak. My name is Emily Stetsman. I am the academic director of the Institute for Sustainable Practice at Lipscomb. And Eric, uh, Everett Davis is here. He was in my class a couple semesters ago. So um, thanks for coming. Uh, I do want to say I am not a theologian. I'm not a Bible scholar. Um, I'm a scientist. I'm a social scientist who works with the natural resources and the environment. Um, and I'll, <clears throat> but I do believe in the priesthood of all believers, and I am a Christian, and I, so I'm, I'm, that's the perspective that I'm sharing from today. So I'm going to start with a little short history of how I came to, uh, a, you know, to find a calling in creation care and uh, uh, kind of the people and environment intersection. So I grew up um, very interested in, you know, grew up in a uh, Church of Christ, very interested in foreign missions, you know, reading the missionary bulletins that came to our house and um, loving to hear missionaries when they came to speak about foreign lands and foreign people. Um, so I, I also had this interest in the environment. So I took agriculture classes in high school. I was a member of the FFA. Um, I went to forestry camp in the summer. <laughs> it was great. And uh, so I had this, you know, I had these interests and this very, um, and this interest in, you know, biology and science from a young age. Um, but I didn't really see those things kind of interacting yet. Um, I studied English at Harding. And I'm here standing as proof that English majors can do anything. It's a great background for life. If you learn how to think and read and write, you can apply that to anything you want. So, um, hey, Carrie, thanks for coming. So I studied English, and, I, and I, I knew I didn't want to be an English teacher, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I, so I had this interest in people and in missions and in um, in you know, the environment. And uh, so I was at Harding, and in Arkansas, there's this organization called Heifer International. Anybody here of Heifer? Give a cow to a family in another country. Yeah, it's an awesome model. If, you know, I encourage you to make them part of your, um, your annual giving. It's a great organization. So they have an educational farm in Arkansas. And I went there, and I went on a tour, and I was like, okay, I've got to learn what's going on here. So they have... Um, so I, was, uh, I worked there for about four months after I graduated from college, and I lived, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, you live on site, this is very rural environment, and I gave tours, and I learned a lot from the people I worked with about this intersection of uh, kind of people and the planet. So Heifer's mission is ending hunger and caring for the earth. And so when I got there, I was really interested in this ending hunger thing. I was really concerned about people, and I was concerned about poverty, and I was interested in um, issues of uh, especially economic inequality, the number of people living under $2 a day, those kinds of things. That's why I was there. And when I got there, I thought that these were two different missions. I thought that these were two different things going on. Um, but as I was there, and as I learned and experienced and saw, I realized these are not two different missions. These things are wrapped up together. There is no human flourishing in which the world is 
degraded and destroyed. There is no, uh, you cannot end hunger without caring for the soil and the ecosystems and the, um, the environment that provide the abundance from which good food comes. These, this mission is so tied up in itself. Um, so I came with an interest in people and I found myself much more interested in, uh, in these connections between people and the planet. Um, so as I had, you know, as I was a child and had these kind of interests in, um, you know, I went to bird camp and stuff like that as a kid. <laughs> and, um, and people would say, well, Emily, I know you care a lot about birds, but don't get to the point where you care more about birds than you do about people as a Christian. And, um, and I've come to see that those are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I, in fact, there, you know, the well-being of birds and the well-being of humanity is really tied up in itself. So that was, uh, that was Heifer. From Heifer, I uh, st- uh, found Auburn University and studied rural sociology. So uh, creation care was not a part of my academic uh, pursuits. But I, so as a Christian, I was there studying kind of the people and environment overlap. Um, so I, rural sociology, and then um, a PhD, I just finished my PhD in forestry at Auburn. So in this human dimensions of forestry, this idea of how like, forest dependent communities and how people make decisions about their natural resources. Um, that they have stewardship over. So some people have more direct stewardship over natural resources than others, and I focus my research on those landowners and those professionals who were um, influencing that, but I'm also interested in kind of this bigger picture of people in the planet. Um, So I saw a job pop up when I was about two years into my PhD, at Lipscomb and the Institute for Sustainable Practice. I didn't go to Lipscomb, but my family went here and I knew that I knew I knew the school and um, and I applied. It was a little early for me to apply, but I did and I um, I was offered the position. So I started here in Lips at Lipscomb in 2015, January of 2015. This is not a commercial for the Institute for Sustainable Practice at Lipscomb. <laughs> I'm not here talking on behalf of Lipscomb University or the Institute of Sustainable Practice. Um, I'm just here as a, a as a Christian in this role. Um, but if you are interested or if you want to know more about what's happening at Lipscomb, you know, shoot me an email, post on a Facebook page, like we'll get coffee and we'll you know, talk about that. Um, so as we talk about creation care, let's break this down a little bit. So we've got two words going on. So what is creation? So creation is everything that God and Christ co-created. It's everything that's living. It's everything that's non-living. It's the universe, you know, down to uh, the smallest level that we can break things down or, you know, notice things at. Um, And it includes people. So creation care is people care. It's also water care and soil care and air quality care. Um, And, uh, animal care and plant care. So this creation is everything that God and Christ co-created. 
Um, and so then we, let's talk about this word care. So just outside of creation care, what does care mean? What, do you, what kind of things come to your mind when you think of care? Attention. Attention. Concern for. Concern for. Nurture. Nurture. Good word. Well-being. Well There's this idea that uh, when something is cared for, that's a benefit. There's an added, um, an added growth. Hey, come on in. I'd like to welcome my parents, Randy and Teresa. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so there's this awareness. Uh, so care starts with perception, recognizing a need, and it moves to understanding. You got to understand what's going on um, with the care of anything, whether that's a child or a pet or a, um, a, your car. Um, and then there's some active management. Care implies action. There's an awareness, there's a concern, but this nurturing is an active vault. And, you know, it involves doing things hands-on. So creation care is a hands-on activity. And there's this idea that, it's, that there's a positive impact. Is care necessarily perfect? No, care does not have to be perfect. Care for a, um, care for a child or care for an elder. There will inherently, inherently be some, um, uh, some, some mess ups, but it, you can still care and, uh, with, this, uh, with this intentionality and with the idea of well-being and benefit. Um, and as you do all those things, what happens? Your awareness, as you do the active nurturing, your awareness grows and your understanding grows. And then you nurture more and you nurture better. So there's this, in, like, this um, added nature to how these things build on each other. Um, when I talk about humans today, I wanna, I'm talking about humans as a species. There's a tendency to think, um, and you know, and we've talked. We, I mean, Terry, every class you're in, you're here. When we talk about um, like the Western view, we, we're very individualistic. When we talk about you know the American view is very individualistic. Try to take off your individualistic lens and think about people as a whole. People. When I talk about humans, I'm talking about Homo sapiens, the species um, throughout time, throughout place, and throughout culture. Um, so this class isn't 50 simple things you can do to save the earth. It's, uh, it's much more about an incredibly complex species and its interaction with an incredibly complex planet that both show the complexity and the intelligence of God in my um, understanding as a Christian. So jumping into uh, some some of the principles that I believe that we learn about God's interaction with creation and how he calls us to partner with him in creation care as part of his family, as part of his family business that we are adopted as sons and daughters into. Um, so first, God created the universe. And a lot of people stop there. You know, every kid coming out of cradle role can tell you that God created the world. But, um, but Christ was active in that act of creation as well. I think we've talked about that a little bit in this class already. So um, 
John 1, 3, through him, Christ, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Um, Colossians 1, 15 and 16, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So listen to all of these uh, prepositions. Does everybody remember what a preposition is? Like in, for, over, above, under, anything you can do to a box. Okay. Listen, <laughs> listen or be about a box, I guess. Um, so Colossians 1, 15 through 16. Listen to this role of Christ in the creative. Um, it basically, listen to these prepositions about Christ's role with the earth. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Now this for him part is a little interesting to me um, because I don't know that anybody ever said this explicitly, but when I was, you know, learning about God and learning about my spirituality, my relationship to God, my relationship to other people, my relationship with myself, and uh, my relationship to the world around me, what I understood on some level was that God wanted a relationship with people. People were in God's image um, the most, and that people needed somewhere to live, so God made the earth. So God made the earth for people. That's kind of what I picked up. Did anybody else, like, can you see how I might have gotten that idea based on your own experience? The earth is for people. It's for us to have dominion over, you know, everything. But that's not what we see here. This isn't what Colossians um, or, uh, you know, some other verses are saying. All things were created by him and for him, him being Christ. The earth belongs to God and belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to us. We are, um, we have an active role. We are, we can be stewards, but we're not caring for creation as if it belongs to us. We are caring for creation as if it belongs to God and we are his trustees. We are his agents. We are God's um, uh, partners. The parables when, um, when Jesus tells about a master who entrusts his estate to some folks and then leaves for a while. That's what's going on with creation here. God has entrusted this to us. There's a responsibility there, um, but there's not an ownership. God retains the ownership of his creation. Um, so God owns the creation. Uh, and this is seen you know, throughout scripture. Um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Okay, so God, um, God owns it. The earth is, so it's his and it's for him. It's not just, it's not for us. We get to use it. We get to enjoy it. We get to benefit from it for sure. We are incredibly dependent on it, but it, does, it doesn't, um, doesn't belong to us. He loves, he loves creation. God loves creation. God loves us. God shares creation with us. Um, this is very, this is contrary to our kind of Western conception of property rights. 
right? Whereas, you know, if you own something, you can do with it whatever you wish as long as you do not hurt someone else or that you do not overstep, um, if, you know, for example, if that property happens to be a, uh, an animal, you do not overstep like the humane treatment of animals, right? So this idea of pro our like conception of property rights doesn't jive with how God talks about the earth and human's responsibility and um, his continued ownership of it. So um, if that's sounding a little different, then that might be where that conflict is coming from, if it's our like cultural understanding of our right to what we own. Um, creation reveals the creator. We learn about God through his creation. Um, so Job 12, 7 through 10, ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds of the air and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? And his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. And then... Psalms 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they, pro they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth and the worlds, their words to the end of the world. Um, Romans 1, 20. <clears throat> Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. Um, this is probably the thing that like most people are, like we talk about most commonly about creation. What, is, what a beautiful sunset. Um, what, you know, look, at, look at what God has revealed. How can, how can you see the complexity of a, um, of a human life or of a, uh, of a seed becoming a plant? Um, how can you see this complexity and not know that there is a God who's worthy of our praise and wonder and, um, and who, who is majestic and who is intelligent and creative and profound? Um, to, what that hasn't always extended to is concern for and like caretaking of those things. Um, for example, uh, we are in uh, the, you know, the largest extinction period in the history of the world. You may have heard this. Um, uh, the fifth largest, I mean, like the fifth, we're in the middle of the fifth extinction period, and it's the only one that's ever been human-caused. Um, at the same time, we're still discovering new species. So imagine for a minute that you are a, like, you're an art aficionado. And we're, for example, like we're not in a Bible class right now, but we're like a little group of people who love Salvador Dali. Like we are all about Salvador Dali. Like we have season passes to the museum. We go there all the time. Like we talk about him. We read books about him. If we were all, you know, if we were all Salvador Dali fans and somebody in their attic somewhere or like underneath another painting discovered a new Dali painting, what would we do? We'd freak out, 
we'd, you know, we'd share it. We'd talk about how this, like, when was this made? Like, what does it tell us about him? What he was going, you know, what was going on in his life? What was a part of his thinking? Um, what can we, you know, what can we do with this now that we have it to understand Salvador Dali better? How do we use this? Um, and, you know, just first off, we just like totally, you know, rejoice. And then we would use it to, um, to, to figure out more about the, the artist that we are enamored with. Um, so when, when new species are discovered, we aren't asking those questions necessarily. We aren't saying, what does this show us about God? What does this show us about how he relates to his people? What does it show us about his, um, his nature, his, uh, his wisdom, or his uh, inner relationships? Um, and at the same time, as species are destroyed, as ecosystems are compromised, we're not lamenting over the loss of God's, um, God's creation, that he poured a lot of uh, love and attention into making. So, um, but God does love it and, that, and creation reveals the creator. One of the things that creation reveals is how much God loves diversity. God loves diversity. There's so much of it. He made so much different kinds of things, different shapes and purposes and uh, connections and relationships. Like, and, then, and I think that extends to people, that God made people in many different ways. He made our brains so malleable that we can learn and we can discover and we can um, shape ourselves and be shaped by our environment in so many different ways that we don't all end up the same by any means. And that's beautiful. And that reveals part of what God loves, I think. Um, we'll stop there for a little time of thoughts, questions, discussion. Like what you were saying about the, the malleability of the, the brain, it, it kind of seems like we're the most malleable species. Like we're the we're the one that absorbs so much of our environment and experience yeah. and are shaped by it. Well, we're certainly the most uh, we're the best at shaping our environment. So think about all the places that people can live by how they've changed the environment. No other species can or does do that. But yeah, I think, and I think that can be kind of a blessing and a curse, yeah. for sure. Well, it speaks to the, our, our intrinsic relationality. Like yes. God is relational to us, so God is always responding to us. And we, just from the moment we're born, are responding to our environment, the mm -hmm. people around us, uh, even unconsciously. Yeah, definitely. Yes. You read the scripture about um, the earth or creation was made for Jesus uh -huh. Christ. Right. Um, you know, and then you talked about how we view um, our possessions as you know, the things that we own. Mm -hmm. If we're not, you know, I think God created the earth, created everything um, with the purpose that it would, you know, return and worship Him and love Him and look at Him and do what it was intended to do, yeah. which is worship him and, you know, um, bring glory to him. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, 
not caring for the earth that he created. Mm. <clears throat> it's the purpose of, you know, flourishment and life and living, then we're not allowing his creation to worship him and do what it was intended. Wow. I think you're right. Yeah. We're blocking praise yeah. to God. Yeah. I mean, you can look at, like, the animals and the leaves. I don't know. I just always look at creation, and I try to explain to my daughter, look at mm. that, I don't know, tree. Like, it's doing everything that God wanted it to do. It's right. changing color. The leaves are falling off. Things are going to grow back. Mm-hmm. That's what God intended for it to do, whether that be for our pleasure or our enjoyment and so that we can praise him. Or, yeah. Um, but, you know, we're not caring for it and not... I mean, we're really the only part of creation that doesn't always do what God told us to do. Yeah, we are the only ones with free will, yeah. Yeah. for sure. Um, we'll talk about the, kind of the... some of those challenges. Yeah. Yes, Gary? When the, when the phrase for him mm-hmm. came, came up, I was, I was thinking about possessions like you were thinking about. But, mm-hmm. but after I after I looked at it for a little while, because of God's nature, I, I thought it's for him in the sense that it's for his glory. Yes. And that uh, that's what you're talking about. Right. It's, it's different than just possession. Oh, definitely. It describes him. Right. Which is why I think the artist analogy works pretty well. Because why do, you know, why do artists create? Because they have to, right? It just comes out of them. And they have to. They see the world in a different way than the rest of us. And, and it's for them, but it's also like revealing something special. I that to be too prominent in our possessions. That thinking too prominent in our personal possessions. Right, right. <laughs> Many of us would probably like to have people have a better view of it than from looking at others. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mom? Um, I like that how you talk about your daughter and how you, you're encouraging her to always about God. Um, I have a little three-year-old grandson right now and love to, as we're walking through the yard or Cheekwood or the zoo, I, we, he and I now, it's very natural to talk about, like that rock is crying out to God right now. Can you hear it? We put our ears there and He's like, no, I can't hear it. And I say, but it's true. It's happening. And it is happening. And so is that leaf. And so is that tree. And we do too. Can you hear me when I do? Yes. Can I hear you when you do? Yes. And nature can hear nature crying out to God. And Emily has mm-hmm. taught me a lot about, in forestry, how um, trees from a distance communicate with each other. So there's so much going on. That's really exciting. I agree. I usually don't lead with that, that I, I know that like trees talk to each other. Well, it's all about vibrations, right? So there are uh, scientists that do this, that put sensors, and our technology, as it's expanded, has allowed us to sense vibrations that are going on under the ground at different, you know, on different time scales. Now we can compress them or slow them down so that humans can understand uh, something of what's going on with the interna- interaction. Um, but yeah, they're doing it. And it's all about the fungi. 
It's the little things that make the world go round. Okay, that's my little aside. Creation praising and so forth. You know, Genesis one, uh, God gives commissions to the plants and animals. Yeah. Right. He says, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Right. Um, before he before he gets to humans, and so yeah, there's a there's an intent there mm -hmm. right, for uh, for them to fulfill this this thing, and um, I, you know, I, I always come back to thinking like we're we're brought in. As the creature that can take responsibility for you know for caring for this in a way that other creatures can't, we're the only one that can head off rogue asteroids or whatever. Right. right? So that's that's our role to help these other things fulfill their purpose. Yeah, for the everyone's mutual flourishing. Yeah. It's not there like we. Um, so when I teach sustainability, it, this is not a zero sum game. The polar bears can have a flourishing life and people can have a flourishing life too. The, human, the, the environmental challenges that we face now were mostly caused by people and people's ingenuity, especially I believe from a faith perspective and a, uh, and a position of understanding that we are, um, we are under God's authority and then we are, um, we are God's agents, his stewards, his uh, trustees um, gets us there. Okay, so that, that is a great uh, segue to um, humanity is responsible for stewarding creation. Um, so Genesis 2, 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Um, I really like this one, Leviticus 25, 23, and 24. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. With me you are but aliens and tenants. Though the land, throughout the land that you hold, you shall provide for the redemption of the land. I'll read that again, Leviticus 25, 23, and 24. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. This is God talking. With me you are but aliens and tenants. Throughout the land that you hold, you shall provide for the redemption of the land. And Numbers 35, 33, and 34. You shall not pollute the land in which you live. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in which I also dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. So this, there's this idea of stewarding um, and, and this idea of care. We've talked about this. This is an active care. Um, there is sometimes the idea that like, and I think this is one of the downfalls of the environmental movement of the 60s. There's this idea that like humanity, like humans are bad for the earth. And the earth would be better if we were just not here. That's not true. I don't think that as a Christian, I don't think that as a um, social scientist, I don't think this is from, a, you know, from an evolutionary biology standpoint. Obviously, humans have choices, and humans and collective decision making is really tough. But we are supposed to be here, and we have a management role. We have an active responsibility and role. And it's not like in this. I'm not going to go into the science, but um, 
if we just disappeared right now, it would like the land would not be fine. It would take a really long time to, you know, in pursuit of dynamic equilibrium um, for those ecosystems to uh, kind of stabilize. We can do this well. And there are Christians and there are people who are doing it well. Um, one of the great, uh, so I, you know, I told you I went to Auburn. Most, if not all of my professors were not teaching from, I mean, I, nobody taught from a faith perspective. Many of them didn't have a faith perspective. Um, but one of my grad student colleagues and friends um, is a forester. So he's an active management forester. His wife is a theologian. And so he's kind of like, like he talks about this whole creation care thing really intensely. Um, and he, you know, he very much sees himself as partnering with God by putting, by, through his, all those care things we talked about, that awareness, understanding, active management, understanding that you might make some mistakes and then, you know, course correct. Um, he is a restoration ecologist which means that he understands a specific ecosystem, the, um, specifically the longleaf pine ecosystem, uh, my very favorite forest system. My students have heard about it way too much. Um, so uh, his job is, and you know, his calling, he really sees it as a vocation, is to set, is to, uh, is to get this ecosystem in right relationship for God. So he's doing things like burning, he's applying herbicides, he's removing invasive species, he's uh, planting trees, he's harvesting trees, he's thinning trees, he's taking out sick trees, he's making, um, you know, he's quarantining areas where there's disease in a very active way to, uh, to steward the land. Most of us won't be in that kind of role. But I think it's important for us to teach our children that that is a Christ-honoring role. I think it's important for us to teach each other and to um, to talk about this as the way that a um, you know the way that a a physician can bring healing and can restore relation you know people's bodies in honor of God. Caring for the environment can be a. Uh, a very powerful Christian calling. So the folks that were well-meaning when I was little saying, well, don't get to the point where you care about the birds too much and forget about the people that Christ died to save. If we could change our messaging a little bit, Christians could, um, I, think the, I think the faith perspective really um, could make a big difference in our in our taking up this role that God has given us and doing it really well. If we encouraged our kids, you know, go study biology, you know, be a, um, be a, be a wildlife biologist, be a, you know, forester, um, be a soil scientist, because that's, you know, you, God has given you skills, God has given you knowledge and opportunities to serve him in this way. Um, cool. So... Again, going back to the name of this class, <clears throat> this is God's family business partnering with God. This is what God's already doing. And anybody who does any kind of active management of land will tell you 
all they're doing is like setting the conditions right. Does that make sense? All they'd have this is this understanding and awareness of how this system functions so that they know if I tweak this, then all these other things will fall into place and God's, what God has already designed will be allowed to flourish. Um, a good example of this is dam removal. So forests, or so like stream, freshwater ecosystems are very sensitive. So Alabama, where I went to school, has like the fifth highest biodiversity in the country, and it's all in the streams. It's all in the freshwaters. The crayfish, the you know small um, crustaceans, and uh, the the fishes the fish species and everything is so diverse because there's so many different types of environments, water temperatures, water quality levels, um, speed of water, all of these things, how much light is hitting the water when in the day, all of these things come together. And so, um, and they can't, but if, but uh, you know, in the 1800s when people were milling their flour by you know, water wheels and stuff. A lot of dams went in. Most of those are not uh, used right now. Most of them are called derelict dams. And so removing that dam is just what you were talking about. It's like getting, like getting what's in the way of the flourishing out of the way. They're not actually like bringing in new fish. They're not, I mean, sometimes they are, but um, they're not like, the biodiversity that comes as a result of taking out the impediments is not possible without God. It's not, it's like, it's like it's being just free to be itself, free to flourish in the way that God designed it. Um, and so every, like, like I said, like it's all about understanding how these systems work so you can intervene in a way that allows them to do what God already created them to do. Which there's, you know, there's some analogies for kind of life and people, everything um, along with that uh, too. So with this idea of stewarding creation also comes this commandment not to defile the land. This is a major theme in the Old Testament. Do not defile the land. Um, and there's this really tight interrelationship between the people and their social challenges, and I mean their social decisions and their social sins. I'll call it sin, um, and the connection between defiling the land. Y'all, slavery is a social ill. It is always accompanied, like land labor-based slavery, always is accompanied by defiling the land. The absolute worst ecological destruction in our country's history wasn't, was in the last century. It was before the Civil War. The first like 150 years that we were here, that Europeans were here, I'm looking out and seeing Europeans, um, <laughs> were on this continent, was the greatest environmental destruction on this continent. And slavery is where the worst of it happened. Has anybody been to a waterfall in Georgia? Waterfalls in Georgia are a direct result of bad agricultural practices. 
the soil loss, the uh, erosion, the you know, basically like cotton and basically cotton destroyed lives, destroyed people, destroyed souls. It you know it was it's it is still a blight on our country, and it destroyed land. And so there's this <clears throat> there's this uh, we see it through scripture that when people, when God's people are making bad decisions, when God's people are defiling the land, they're also like not living abundantly either. They're not living their best lives um, for God. Uh, so Jeremiah 12, 4, How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. That is, a, that is a predictable result. When people, you know, throughout the Old Testament, when people don't follow God and they break their covenants, you know, Isaiah calls it a curse. It's just a result. It's just a cause and effect relationship of when people do not live within the will of God and they um, collectively... Um, and we think we see this in selfishness. We see this in consumerism. We see this in um, in slavery. Um, the land suffers alongside. I realize that's a lot, so I'm gonna. Um, uh, a couple quotes. Forests precede us and the deserts dog our heels. Derek Jensen is an environmental author. Um, and he talks about this theme in history of people defiling the land, people going into areas that were, you know, were sources of abundance. Forests are long-term sources of abundance. Um, and the desertification process that happens as people cut trees and you kind of start this downward spiral of social and environmental destruction. Um, the conflict right now over the Dakota Access Pipeline is a conflict over defiling the land. And I am sad, heartbroken that Christians are not at the forefront of saying, do not defile the land. God made it. God owns it. We are stewards of it. So yes, it is a the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, conflicts, uh, water protectors are is a cultural issue wrapped up with a racial issue wrapped up with a poverty and resource issue wrapped up with a um, you know all of these social sins, political struggle, economic right? It's all about, it's all about the people and the land being so tightly woven together. And when we don't see the connections between defiling the land and the impact on people, we just keep, we just keep doing it. Um, so what's the answer? Trees. <laughs> <laughs> Trees are the answer, and it doesn't matter what the question is. 
<laughs> does not matter what question um, is I. And so one of my very favorite like bumper sticker quotes is, love thy downstream neighbor. So as God has commanded us not to defile the land, as God has put us in this responsibility, God is also redeeming the land. God is through people, through our participation. So loving people and loving the planet, like that's what, this is what Dakota Access is about right now. It's about downstream neighbors who also happen to be oppressed in every possible way. Um, so love thy downstream neighbor. Um, God, is, God is commanding us. God is inviting us. We are participants in this. Um, the kingdom of heaven that Christ ushered in with his death and resurrection is both now and not yet. How many times have you heard that? It's now and it's not yet, right? So there's this now part of it that we are, we are able to, because of that process that I explained that you just kind of like, you understand how something works and then you change a little, like you just kind of, and then it all just falls into place. That is God's redemption of streams in Alabama, of, um, of you know, in soil. And some of it takes a long time, some of it doesn't. But... Um, the good news includes good news for creation. That's my timer, so I realize we're, <laughs> we're out of time. I'm not quite done. Um, the, I do want to start, stop with Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in according with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he perverted in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We can participate in this bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth. There is, uh, there is good news. This is, this is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for all creation. Um, yes, we need to repent of many things. We already knew that, right? But, um, but God's abundance uh, and God's, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so even if you didn't know that you were commissioned as, a heir of Christ, you know, as an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ to participate in creation care, um, now you do. All right, any final thoughts, questions before we go pick up our kids? Nope. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Oh, I stepped on That's okay. I do on. I didn't even feel it. I have to review your text.
I got a new dermatologist and on a new regime and thank you. Yeah, I know. And I only had 45 minutes, so I tried to just like. If anybody wants to get coffee sometime. Thank you. I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm an animal scientist, so I went to MTSU for agricultural animal science. I work for Mars now, and part of the reason that I love them is because they are so very involved with sustainability, which I love. But I'm with you, but I also like just slightly on the other side, I love the animal behavior human connection. That's that's me, that's my Yes, and so I love that. And so I grew up, I credit that to my mom. I grew up very much so, like when we read Genesis, my mom said, this is good. Like my God said, nature is good, the birds are good, the sky is good, the trees are good, God said so. Right. So it's already good. You don't need to do it. It's already good. God, God created it good, yeah. so we want to try to keep it that way. Right. Our our goal is to nurture yes. and maintain, mm-hmm. not to change. So, and that is true. Had the land not been defiled, right? So when the land is defiled, right. we've got to go in and say, back okay, what needs to be right. here? Create it back to that right. good state. Exactly. Create it back to its original state. Exactly. Um, We're not making exactly. it better. Yeah. We're just helping get it, helping let it flourish yeah. the way that God intended it. Yeah. Human activity plugged that up somehow. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that that's like, I love that. Yeah, that's it was awesome. nice. I've never really had anybody, I've never really listened to anybody else who had that nature. Well, give me a hug. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, this makes sense. There's other people out there. Yes. Yeah. So I love that. Absolutely. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. And I'll find you on Facebook. Okay. You should go get coffee. Yeah, for sure. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. He's from when you went out. I think they're in my purse. Okay. You have a good rest of the day. I'm like saying, I'll find you. Okay, sounds good. See ya. I'll find it. Oh, it's fine. It's in the back. Okay. Is there any chance at all that you could be with us when we give Mark, Mark to Clay just so he doesn't feel like all right. what's going on, what's going on? Little Mark, it's been such a weird couple of days for him. Well, I've got a, I've got a brunch at 11:30. Do you have to be at it? Can you be, can you be there? At, Hey. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. 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 Yeah